Good morning. I believe it was during my senior year of high school, uh, there was a group of uh, about four or five different guys that uh, we all kind of hung out together, and um, we just always found the most random things to, to do, and, uh, and one day we were at my house, and we decided to go into the backyard and we actually had some woods kind of back behind our backyard and we went back there and we ended up finding this tree and we were looking at this tree and uh, there weren't really any other branches on it until about probably about 20 feet up and uh, and Sticking out of this, uh, of this tree, 20 feet up, was this really big, solid branch uh, that went out for probably about four or five feet, and then it just made a perfect fork and, made, and became two branches that were also still really thick and, and uh, looked really sturdy, and they were really even. And so we were looking at that, and we said, okay... We have to make a, a treehouse up there. Like, we've got to do it. And so that was our plan. And so for the next couple of days, we kind of set out that plan. And uh, one of my friends, uh, the one that owned the, the truck out of all of us, he ended up finding this huge pallet. Um, I don't know the technical term for it, but I guess it was like a pallet that's like double in size. Um, it, was, it was just a giant pallet that would be the perfect uh, kind of floorboard to use for this treehouse. And so he found that and he brought that over. Another one of my friends made sure to get the ropes that we were going to need uh, to kind of hoist it up and, and get it into the tree. And so we felt like we had everything we needed. Uh, we also had... Uh, a hammer and some nails so that way once it was up there we could kind of you know get it into the tree and keep it sturdy and so we were going about this plan and we managed to get everything back there we're, so we're back in the woods and uh, and we you know throw the rope over and we're going to make a pulley system where we basically just kind of pull this huge pallet up and so we finally get all that figured out. We tie it, you know, we tie it uh, to the rope and we start pulling the rope and, and it goes up and it's up there. But now we need a way to get it from kind of just hanging 20 feet in the air to actually sitting on top of this fork that we found. And so we're talking about it and we realize there's not another way, there's no way to get up there. Uh, the, only, uh, the only branch that is on this tree, uh, besides what's above it, is this 20-foot high branch, and there's nothing close by that we can use to get up there. So then we decide, okay, well, we're going to have to, just like we did with this pallet, we're going to have to hoist up one of us. We will get up there. We'll kind of get balance on this fork, and we'll pull it up. Um, yes, I, it sounds like a great idea, and everything's going to go really well. And, uh, and so we get more rope. And uh, we also go into my house and we find uh, a few different belts. Uh, and we decide to take the belts and we're going to make a harness out of it. So we get one belt and it goes around this leg. Not for me. I, I didn't do this. It was one of my friends. But we get one belt to go around this leg, one belt to go around this leg, and then one to go around the waist. And then we get all the buckles together. And then we 
you know, we just got to connect them all and then hook them to this rope and boom, we have a harness, we're good to go. And obviously we were also impatient, we didn't want to wait, we want to do this now. So that's the harness that we made. And we think about it and we go, okay, well how are we going to get this harness attached to this rope? And our decision was, okay, so we need a, a carabiner. We need, we need one of those clips. And if you don't know what that is, it's, you know, they use them a lot for climbing, like, they, you, know, like, you're, like you should. Uh, but they're very sturdy, usually pretty large. It's got that hinge to it. And usually it'll kind of lock, so it'll, it'll keep you safe. But it can support a whole lot of weight. And so I'm thinking about it. I say, oh, I, I know, I've got one of those in my house. So I run into my house. And I grab the, the carabiner that, that I had access to. Now, again, carabiners usually pretty good size, pretty sturdy. So this is basically, this is the carabiner that I had access to. Not the exact one, you'll learn why in a second. So this is the carabiner right here, alright? So this is the one I had access to, um, basically this size. And I grab it, and we barely fit the, the buckles in, and uh, we hook this up to the rope, and, uh, and we start pulling. And we're lifting up our friend, and it's working fine, but as he gets about you know, 10 feet in the air, and as he's getting closer to where he needs to be, he starts to yell at us, and he needs us to lower him down pretty quickly. And so we lower him back down, and when we get him back down, we look at this carabiner, and we look at this clip, and we see that the, the hook of it has almost entirely opened. It, it was almost more like a straight line than it was uh, this, this curved uh, item here. It did not look like this at the end of it. And, uh, and so then we had to bring him back down, and, and unfortunately, we had to stop uh, our plans for the day, and my mom was not happy, but we actually had to leave a, a dangling pallet um, 20 feet in the air until uh, the next day when we could get what we needed to actually get it up there. And we did, and we built that treehouse, and by built, I mean we got the pallet up there, and then we forgot about it. Uh, but that's what happened, and, uh, and I want to kind of look at this, this whole idea uh, there were a lot of things that, that could have gone wrong. And there were honestly a lot of things that we almost halfway expected to go wrong. Um, if we ended up with a rope that was not as sturdy as it needed to be, that could have been uh, a, a disaster for us. Um, we did end up with a clip that was not as strong as it needed to be, and that was kind of our demise. The other option was that we ended up putting a lot of uh, a lot of weight on a branch that, that could not hold us and was not going to, to hold us. And whether it was the rope or the clip or the branch, every single one of those pieces had to be strong enough to support the weight. And if there was a weakness in one of those or all of those different things, that would have meant that, meant that you know, something was going to break or something was going to fall or, or something was going to become useless to us and its purpose would be gone. If you would, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, this is uh, most likely the writings of King Solomon. 
um, the, of course, who is the, the son of David. And in fact, it doesn't specifically tell us in the book, but it's him. But it does tell us uh, the king and the son of David. So we're kind of able to connect the dots and say, okay, this, this had to be Solomon. And so uh, we see these writings. And um, just so you are aware, the word Ecclesiastes it actually comes from uh, a Greek word that, that translates into, or a Hebrew-Greek word, uh, and all of this translates into uh, Ecclesiastes, meaning one who is addressing the assembly. An Ecclesiastes is actually a, a person. It is a, uh, an identifier uh, of one who is addressing the assembly. Now, technically, if you really want to think of it in a very practical way, this book could almost be addressed as a uh, preacher. Um, it could be looked at as uh, a book to be called preacher. Um, and really, if you look through it, the book is not entirely different from a sermon. And as you look all throughout Ecclesiastes, you can see all of these different things that, uh, that, that Solomon is trying to do. And he goes to... Uh, you know, he goes and he tries all of these different things and he basically comes back to this idea and says, you know, all of this stuff is meaningless. None of this is really working. Um, if there were to be a five-word summary of Ecclesiastes, I believe it would be this. Choose God, not the world. Now, in more detail, obviously, there's a lot more to learn from Ecclesiastes because as Solomon continues to to try out all these different things of the world, he finds himself so empty-handed. And his summary of all of these things, of course, fear God, keep His commandments, but not only that, but, but don't follow the things of the world. Choose God, not the world. And so as we look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we come across this passage, and it's honestly a little bit different from many of the other things that he says here, many of the other things that he does and he writes to us about. But I want to read through uh, verses 9 through 12. Uh, if you will, read through that with me. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think that this concept that we see in this passage I think that it's easy for us to understand, uh, especially at this kind of surface level uh, value that, that we place it at when we first look at it. This idea that two are better than one. And as we look through this, this whole idea, uh, it, it makes sense. You know, two, uh, two are going to be stronger than one. Two are going to be smarter than one. Uh, you know, having a, a relationship between two, that's going to be better than having no relationship at all. Um, all of these things show us that, yes, there is a strength in having more than one person being a part of something. And we're going to continue to look at this idea 
as we continue to go through our lesson. But one of the things that we see at the end of this passage is a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, I think it's pretty easy for us to understand. If you have a cord that is, that is one strand, that's not going to have near as much strength to it as uh, that same cord that's made up of not one strand, but three uh, not that one strand on its own, but three just like it woven together and how much strength that can add to that one strand that was previously on its own. As I continue to, to think through all of this, um, there were three specific instances that I kept thinking of uh, throughout Scripture that I want us to look at this morning. The first one, uh, if you would tr- uh, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And obviously, uh, we pick up right after uh, creation. Uh, the Lord had just, uh, had just created everything into existence. And we see that uh, the six days uh, of creation had taken place and the Lord had created for six days. And at the end of each day, we see the Lord look back and say that what he had created was good. He was able to look at that creation, look at it and say, this is good. But now we get to chapter 2 and we see that there's something that God addresses and looks at and notices and says, you know what, this particular thing, this particular problem is not good. And there needs to be a solution for it. Uh, We're going to look at that passage now in uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When we look at the beginning of this passage, we see that it was not good for man to be alone. We see that man needed help. In fact, he was looking for a helper that was fit for him. And being alone was not good. Now, obviously a lot of times when we look at this passage, uh, we are typically looking at the marriage aspect of this, And that's a very correct thing to do uh, because even right after this passage we learn uh, about the beginning ideas of marriage itself. But what I want to focus on in this passage specifically was the recognition that God had that just one man being on this earth was not enough. 
and that he needed help. One human alone on earth was not a, a good idea. And so just from the very beginning, we see this idea that, that interaction with humans is, is needed. It's necessary. It's helpful. Um, it's something that, that God created and made uh, and put into place even from the beginning. If you will, turn with me to Job chapter 2. We're going to go ahead and go on to our, uh, our second passage that, that I want to focus on. And picking up in Job 2, we see here that Job had just lost everything that he had. He had just lost his property, um, all of his children. Uh, he had even, uh, his health was, was not looking great at all. And in fact, right before uh, where we're going to read, his wife had even just come to him and said, look, why, why don't you just curse God? Why don't you just forget all about God and, and, and stop looking to Him and, and stop looking for blessings from Him and just, just curse Him and, and die? And all these things had happened uh, one right after the other. And so now we pick up where Job had lost everything. And, and when all this, as soon as all of this had just taken place, we then see the friends of Job appear. And they arrive and they, and they show up here. And we see what happens uh, beginning in verse 11 of Job chapter 2. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Here we see that these three friends that, that Job had, they, they sat with him. They wept with him. They, they tore their robes. And, and, and they just sat on the ground with him for a week. And they said nothing. And they said nothing. And Job was, was suffering at this time. And they knew that and they recognized the suffering that Job had. But they kept, these three men kept Job from being alone in his suffering. And they chose to keep him from being by himself. Now, we do find out later on that it was probably more effective what they did during these seven days of saying nothing at all than once they did actually start speaking to him. Um, but what we do see here was the importance they had in making sure that Job was not alone. That Job was not going to be going through all of these things that he faced by himself. The third passage that I want to look at is in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And here we see the ministry of Jesus uh, basically beginning at, at this point. 
And a lot of people are beginning to hear about the works of Jesus and the things that He's doing uh, on earth. And, and so they're all starting to, uh, they hear about Him, so they want to go see Him. And so they're all starting to go see Him. And, and now all these crowds of people are starting to follow Him wherever He goes. And so Jesus now has this following and he needs help. And so now we pick up in verse 13 of Mark chapter 3, and we see exactly what he chooses to do next. Verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, uh, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. At the beginning of this passage, we see Jesus appoint the twelve apostles. And normally what we look at, what we focus on, is that Jesus selected these twelve apostles uh, because they were going to be sent out to preach. And yes, absolutely, they were very necessary in being there after the life of Jesus was complete. Because these 12 men would then uh, continue on and would establish the church and would then spread the gospel all throughout all of these nations. But there's one other thing that, that's mentioned here. Uh, it says that he appointed the 12 so that they might be with him. See... Jesus chose these men, yes, absolutely, to do all of these things. But even Jesus himself knew that he did not want to do all of this alone. Because though Jesus overcame sin and he lived a perfect life, and, and he probably, if anybody, had exactly what it takes to do this on their own, the Son of God chose not to live his life alone. He chose to live his life surrounded by people that were going to, to listen and to interact with him and to support him. And no, they, they weren't perfect and, and none of these people that we read about are. But they all understood the relationship that they had with all of these people and what they needed to do for them. As we look throughout Scripture there are a lot of others that make the same decision, that choose not to be by themselves, that choose to, to uh, do something, whether that's putting another person first uh, or, or performing an act uh, that is very selfless or uh, whatever it might be. A lot of people make the same decision uh, not to do things alone or not to let people be alone. We see that Ruth decides not to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi, after uh, the death of, 
uh, of her husband, of Ruth's husband. We see Aaron being reunited with his brother Moses, um, which then allows Moses to have the confidence and the determination to go and actually present himself to Egypt uh, in front of Pharaoh in Egypt to deliver the people uh, from Egypt. We also see Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul, who risks his own life uh, and puts himself in danger in order to, to save uh, his close friend, David. We see so many all throughout Scripture who make those decisions uh, for other people, to help other people, to strengthen other people. And I think that brings us all back to this idea that we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I think that this passage shows us the value of we over me. It shows us how much more important it is to put a mentality of not just me, but us. And being able to have that us mentality and to look at things uh, with this plurality. Being able to see the value of having multiple people working together. And yes, we see it all throughout Scripture. But I think this same idea carries over to us today. I think this same idea needs to and, and absolutely has to carry over to the church today, to the body. Because we are given a purpose not only to serve our God, but to serve other people. And as we look through all of these previous stories, we can learn from every single one of them that it's absolutely essential for us to, to comfort others. For us to, to strengthen other people and to be strengthened by other people. To learn from other people. And honestly, just to be present with others. And so as the body, as the church, as we look at this concept, as we look at this idea, we have to make an assessment and we have to say, are we doing what we need to do to be a we? Or are we just a whole bunch of individuals all completely separated and on our own. As the body, we have two different options. The first one of those is to stay separated from others and to remain as one strand. This idea of being the single strand on our own. I think one of the things that happens in our culture a lot today uh, and a lot of people, when they look at their idea of their relationship with themselves and with God, it is that and nothing more. It is a relationship they have with God and nobody else has any uh, say or any influence or any control with that. And when they do that, they completely separate themselves from the church, from the body, from all of those people who would be connected to them because of this thing they have in common. But instead, they look at it as an individual relationship and it remains as one strand. And if 
our life is one strand, then when it is weighed down, it's not going to take a lot to make it break. It's going to be unable to withstand any of the things that it faces because it is one strand, because it is alone, because it is not fused or connected or woven with others with the same strength. And so, as the body, we can choose to stay separated from others. Or, we can choose to build new relationships, or we can choose to, uh, to grow existing relationships. And as a result, we can add strength to that cord. As we look at ourselves, we can make it a point in our lives to make sure we have those connections, to make sure that if we find ourselves in these difficult times, that we are capable of seeing the connections that we have and the strength that we have from the people around us, not just on our own. And so, when we are weighed down, we stay strong. And we stay strong because there are others there to help us carry that weight to help us resist against that weight, those things that are pulling us down. And as a result, we overcome the things of the world. I want to end by asking you this question. And I want you to actually think about this question. um, And think about how this Uh, applies to you personally, though it does apply to all of us collectively and as a group, how it applies to you and how you can do this individually. And the question is, how can I add value to we? And when I say we, I'm talking about the church, the body, the, the many strands here that are hopefully woven together. And as you think about this relationship that you have with the church and with those within the church, do you feel more like you are one of many strands woven together? Or do you feel like there is a woven strand and you are off on the side and you are completely on your own? Which one of these do you feel like? And I want to tell you and and kind of give you an idea that there are ways to change that. And I don't want this to sound insensitive in any way. But if you feel like you come here and you're a part of and you participate in worship and, and you are a part of the body, but yet you still feel separated. And when when worship is over and you walk out and you don't feel encouraged by the people around you, my advice to you is to change that experience. Do not wait for other people to change that experience for you. Change that experience. When you come in have the mentality of making those connections, of doing what you can to be woven into 
the church, of being woven into and infused to the body. There are simple ways to do this. Honestly, sometimes it's as simple as being bold enough to have a conversation with one person. One person maybe that, that you know or that you haven't talked to in a couple weeks or that you've never met before. But making it a point to, to try and make a connection while you are here. And understanding not just that that connection uh, is, is surface level, but that you have a common bond with that person. And I guarantee you that regardless of who you are, you have so much support from this group right here. So I encourage you, as you think through this, how can I add value to the church, to the body? Whatever that requires you doing, and I'm even going to give you a few ideas just to help you out, just in case you are finding yourself in that position where you're saying, I'm not connected. Uh, it's very simple. First of all, if you're feeling up for it, um, have a Bible study. Host a Bible study. Host a time just to get together. Um, after this, you're going to go to lunch. Invite somebody to go with you to lunch. Um, come to, I know that I technically don't have permission to invite everyone, but come to our family Devo tonight. Um, the Woods are hosting it. They would love to have you. Um, come be a part of that. It doesn't matter if you are a teenager or, um, or if you feel like you're the complete opposite end of that and you're older. It, we don't care. Come join us. Uh, there's easy ways to, to put yourself out there and to be a part of these things. Um, feel free next Sunday or even tonight, sit somewhere different. Talk to someone different. Go to a new class for, for a week or, or a couple of weeks. Um, come join the teen class. We'd be happy to have you. Um, if you're not as vocal, you're not as outgoing, but you still need these connections, um, write cards to, to other members. Send texts to other members. Uh, do something in order to get connected. But I want you to understand this more than anything else. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we are taught that we are going to be much more effective if we're doing this all together. If every single one of us is doing this working together. And maybe when you think of that idea of a single strand, you say, well, I, I don't need any strength to that. I, I have my family, and, and so I have the support that I need. Please at least recognize, regardless of the support that you do have or don't have at home, that this is your family too. And that these people around you want to be fused with you, want to be woven in with you, and we need to work together to be one body and one church. And we need to work together to have that value, to have that strength, so that way no matter what we are faced with, we will overcome that. And we will continue to work toward the relationship that we have with each other and with our God. We are not meant to do this alone. In that passage, it says, Woe to him who is alone when he falls. 
But at the end of that, we learn that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, the more strands we have that are a part of that, that rope, that cord, the stronger we will be. We typically offer the invitation on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings and Sunday evening, and, and we give uh, everyone an opportunity uh, for, uh, to, to be able to come forward and ask for any prayers or anything that you need. And I hope that you understand that that time is also to get that support from the church. So this morning, um, maybe you are trying to understand the relationship that you have with Christ and maybe you're, you're realizing that it's time to begin that relationship and you feel like you uh, need to put Christ on in baptism. But maybe you are here and you feel like one strand and you look at uh, the, the rest of the church and you feel like you're, you're not connecting, you're not fused in the way that you need to be, but you need that encouragement, you need that help, you need that connection. If you do need that, please do not hesitate to ask for it. Because I guarantee you that you will receive that assistance. If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come forward now as we stand and as we sing.